art on your sleeve. Hello and welcome to Art on Your Sleeve, episode 8. This is a podcast about art, design and the music industry. And in this episode, I'm talking about the design of record covers covering the last 40 years. When I was thinking about this, it was linked to an article that I've written for an uh, issue of uh, Classic Pop magazine published on the 7th of February 2019. It's a synth pop special and I'll read briefly from the information on the website. It says, inside we explore the beginnings of the synthesized sound of the 1970s, a pioneering movement kickstarted by visionary TV and film soundtracks as well as musical pioneers such as Kraftwerk and Giorgio Moroder. We then trace the steady evolution of synth-pop as it made its way over to the shores of the UK and track its course through the decades and up to the present day. So for this issue, I was asked to think about 40 years worth of design and to put together an article about the best record sleeves of the period. It was really difficult. 40 years of releases and probably 4,000 amazing record covers at the least. But I had to narrow it down and I originally got it down to about 25, but with the word count I ended up getting it down to about 16, I think it was. I think I've covered most bases and managed to get quite a lot of interviews with the people behind the design work. So for this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about, well, actually ended up just being one of the designs that was featured in the article because I couldn't talk about them all because it would have got really, really boring just hearing me speak. And with that in mind, I thought it'd be interesting to get a couple of friends in on it as well. So I asked my good friends, Andrew and David, who've both got backgrounds in art and design, to pick their favourites too. So we all selected three. Uh, we kept it secret until we sat down and revealed them. And in this episode, you can hear us sort of di- dissect and deconstruct uh, the record sleeves of some of our favourite releases and some of our favourite design work. So I hope it's interesting. There are some additional notes on the show notes for this at my website, softoctopus.co.uk. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Sit down and make yourselves comfortable. We start off with Andrew's first choice, not me, the other Andrew. My first album is Gritty Bullities, Cupid and Psyche 85. Very good choice there. From 1985. Perhaps not a very surprising choice, but... I think it kind of st- it stood the test of time. I loved it at the time. I still love it now, which I can't say for you know every record mm. in my collection. Um, it's a, it's a nice example as well because I think it's one of those where the fact that it's vinyl is really to its advantage because when it came out on CD, it it just was bleh. yeah. <laughs> and and later editions of the vinyl, they they weren't embossed and they didn't have the foil. Um, which is part of the appeal. Um, I think I, I like it partly because it's not the kind of work I would have done at the time yeah, or would do now. Um, and I like the loose approach. I like the fact that it, it's controlled, but it appears not to be controlled. And things like the elements of the tears, the masking tape are all elements that you'd think would have been edited out. 
of the finished thing, but I like the fact that that's all left in. It sort of appears quite effortless. Yeah. And if you think about what else was around at that time, it was a very strong, sort of graphic, perfect look, and that's very, looks very sort of rough and torn and textural. Yeah. And, and beautiful, really. Yeah. It's kind of, I think it's a really nicely balanced design. Yeah. You can't go wrong with a bit of bit of uh, debossing and a bit of gold, gold foil blocking <laughs> and a nice glossy laminate. And... And I'm not sure how much it echoes the music because the music at that time was very controlled, very tight, yeah. immaculately produced. Um, there, was no, there weren't really any rough edges to the music, but maybe the artwork works because you know it works as a contrast to that approach with the music it does but it's also there is a precision about it you know it's beautifully the, the typography is very beautiful and it's 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 kind of high quality as it? it looks like a luxury product it does yeah uh, i suppose we should mention keith breeden at this point as well as the, as the man responsible for this yes um do you know anything about his process in terms of he produced the artwork and then photographed, collaged and photographed, or...? Um, I know that he, he worked close with um, Green Gartside on it, so it was very collaborative. Um, the, the, create, the design process was very collaborative. And Green was, a, was an art student, so he was, you know, visually aware and, yes. and you know, yeah. keen on keeping control of how Scrittability presented themselves. And I think with, with this album as well, there's, there's a, a sort of lineage from the, the previous stuff where they were kind of um, echoing the look of products and packaging. So it shows a kind of a, an awareness of, of design um, and a willingness to kind of subvert more conventional design, if you like, mm. um, but still producing an incredibly beautiful object, and there are a series of those. So again, in marked contrast to Squizzy Billy's very early days, where it was pretty coarse, yes. <laughs> what they were producing musically and visually. Which is why I think that, that there is a sort of visual connection with the music, because that it is kind of very well manicured and Whilst there is a roughness to it, it's, it's kind of considered roughness. Yeah. A bit like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think considered roughness is probably a good summing up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now just going back to the fact that Green Gartside was an art student, um, he, he's quoted as talking about Joseph Boyce, who you know he would have been very familiar with as a fine art student, um, and says, Joseph Boyce is the only artist I like um, which is a huge statement, actually. <laughs> I wonder if that's still the case. He makes perfect contemporary things. He uses materials like felt and fat because when he was a German pilot in World War II, he crashed his plane, and when he was rescued, he was kept alive by being wrapped in felt and yak's fat. A bit niche, but mm. you know, it's kind of... Um... Inspiration in the strangest <laughs> of places. Um, and who knows, it would have got reached as far as 80s pop music. Um, although he makes the nicest looking things, Green continues, he has appalling, appalling excuses for doing so. <laughs> so I would, um, I would second your choice on this one. I think it's uh, a beautiful example of uh, 
record sleeve design, and particularly record sleeve, not CD design. I think it works beautifully as a 12-inch square. It does. Yeah. As you say, the impact on the CD version was much less, I think. Mm. It's something I enjoyed holding. It's something I enjoyed looking at while I was listening to the music. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the, the my love of the music um, influenced <laughs> how I felt about the sleeve, but that's not always the case. I think the two worked quite well together. Yeah. It's interesting just looking at the reverse of the, of, of the outer sleeve, which is a piece of beef wrapped in, in muslin. Why not? <laughs> with some silver stars and a butterfly <laughs> placed there. I think this is kind of, that's probably more connected with the Joseph Boyce influence and the, the use of unusual materials. Mm. And here's a good word, juxtapositions. Oh, there we go. You know, <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> what feeling do you get from a massive piece of beef wrapped in muslin and decorated with butterflies and stars? What do you think of it, David? Because this isn't an album cover that you're familiar with particularly, is it? Are you no, seeing this for the first time? No, I've seen it before, um, many times. And I, I think it's lovely, because I love collage, so uh, I love the embossing, um, and I love the fact that the back cover is a, quite a stark contrast to the front mm. cover, two completely different techniques. I think it's interesting what Green was saying about, you know, that he's obviously quite the aesthete, really, because he was very much into the way something looked, but not necessarily into that being rationalised or, or spoken about. It's just kind of, it doesn't, you know, if it looks good and, you, you know, you feel good about it, then that's a good result. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be able to explain something. It just feels like it all works well together as well, doesn't it? And that's the sort of... Um the strength of good design, it feels like it fits the, the music perfectly to me. It kind of looks like work in progress and it, you kind of imagine that Keith Breeden would have been you know, putting something together, trying to work it out and then just deciding to stop the process and then place some type carefully. I'm sure every, every, every position is considered but it also has a looseness about it. Okay, should we move on? We shall. Shall I go on? Shall, shall we go clockwise? So, are we staying with Keith Breeden as well? Shall we stay with it? Keith Breeden? Because whilst they're the same designers, they're very, very contrasting pieces of design work. Yeah, it was interesting that the three of us, incidentally, each chose a Keith Breeden piece. Yeah, because he's a, he's a name that most people wouldn't know, but his work will be very, very familiar, as was proved by our choices today. Pounds, dollar. So I've picked um, ABC's How To Be A Zillionaire album. Um, I've picked it, again, partly for the similar reasons that, that you mentioned about you, you sort of like the things that you can't do yourself, because mm. I suppose we should both say that we are both graphic designers, so... Um, and. The, the work that, that Keith did on How To Be A Zillionaire, all done by hand largely, is just um, breathtaking really when you look at the detail of it and the fact that there's kind of graphic design, typography, cartoon design. And, and what I like about it as well is that, again, it feels like it works with the music within because ABC had come back with a whole new sound that was very, very well, larger than life and mm. twice as ugly to quote one of the song lyrics um, and the music just seemed to be perfectly apt for that so it was 
it's sort of um, loud and in your face and very, very playful. And so he's created this range of cartoon characters. We're just looking at the, the gatefold sleeve and the, the, the inner section of that, which is covered in these um, kind of bold cartoon characters. Band members, I take it. All, There's all, Martin Fry. Yeah. And it was quite, I think, a, a brave thing for them to do because they, they'd established a fan base that was used to a certain type of music from them, which was not really electronic. It was quite... Um, middle of the road in lots of ways and then they came back with this very hard electronic disco infused fusion of i don't know what funk pop electronics um and so i i, I like the music first and foremost but then when i saw the design work i was just like oh that's nice i like that <laughs> um and i think again what what keith breeden's done with the with the design of the inside with all of the typography all again condensed and stretched and you know, it's using the technology of the time in a really creative way because it was very rudimentary technology back then. In what, what year was I it? I remember it, it well. Released in this album was released in uh, October 1985. So, wow. the Mac had only been introduced a few months before this, and uh, th this wouldn't have been done on a Mac. I think this was just you know it was all typeset and laid out by hand, and then. Um, so this is the same year that the Scritti Politti album came out, so the same man was responsible at the same time for yes. two radically different pieces of work. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I think it works really nicely. It's bold, it's brash, it's in your face. And also it's, what the, the difference with this sleeve, I think, is that it's a gatefold. And as of as a, both of my, cho or two of my choices, that uh, it's, it's got a kind of luxury quality to it that you just don't get with CDs. The fact that it's a 12-inch square that then opens up to a 24-inch no, rectangle. You, you double the available area. Yeah, and then it, so it just, it's just a, a lovely thing. It um, is a work of art. The detail, the complexity of the design. I'm just looking at the inner sleeve as well, and there are four beautiful portrait shots of the band members. By Nick Knight. And any of those would stand alone as, as, as a sleeve, as a yeah. cover in their own right, really. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, so they could have taken a, a lazy, a, a, but no less effective approach, I guess, by you know putting a bit of typography over any yeah. of those shots, really, but chose not to. I interviewed Keith Breeden a long time ago for a, an article that I wrote for Classic Pop all about cartoon design. Um, I also did an interview with him about Scritti Politti, but this was a separate one. And he gave some insight into the design. So he said, Martin Fry and Mark White bought, uh, brought the idea of the cartoons to me. They commissioned a company called Best Films to come up with the characters for the Millionaire video. And I designed the graphics for the album, singles and promotional campaign complimenting and exploring the, those ideas. I wasn't aware of anyone else using cartoons, and so I looked at Warner Brothers Looney Tunes for inspiration, and I was also playing arcade games, so I guess the result was a sort of morphing of the two styles. Mm -hmm. I think you can see that, really. Yeah. Creating the artwork was very laborious, but I felt that we were doing something new and exciting. I remember hearing the rough mixes for the album and thinking there was something special, a lot of energy and vision with all sorts of eclectic references and concerns, and I tried to reflect that in the graphics. I always think that's an interesting part of the story when, when I'm writing about designers to know at what point they came on board with it, because yeah. I think that the sound can influence the, the visuals. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that he says he did hear the sort of the new... 
Because I imagine if you didn't know that, it would be quite easy to go down a safer route for ABC, like the other album covers. Yeah. Whereas this was very, very different, you know, very cartoony and bold and brash. Um, so you would have needed to have had some kind of sonic insight. The message is perfectly simple. The meaning is clear. Don't ever stray too far. I like artists that are, are willing to sort of visually experiment, you know, as much as I'm a big fan of the Pet Shop Boys, a bit of a spoiler for coming up later. In many ways, their design style has stayed the same throughout their career, and, and, and it, whilst it's been beautiful, there hasn't been that diversity, I don't think, in, in the way that you see with someone like ABC. Well, this was like a reinvention visually yeah. for the whole band. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would have been quite considered um, with this album because, uh, you know, the sound was, was quite lush, quite lush pop, and visually it's quite very different to the previous kind of soul, yeah. soul boy looks of the previous albums. Yeah. And this is very kind of pop, very sort of uh, graphic, very bold. You could tell they were trying to reinvent themselves, really, visually mm. and uh, musically. Um, in fact, my favourite ABC, ABC song of all time is on this album, which is Be Near Me. Yeah. Which I think is That's really... That's a beautiful song. One yeah. of the most beautiful pop songs I think I've ever heard. But it's interesting, the other two members, weren't they, were they friends of theirs? Because I don't think... Uh, did they play on the albums? They, they, they were there just there purely as for stylistic reasons, <laughs> which I think is great. Didn't they have a fashion background? At least one yeah, of them she, fashion she was a writer for The Face, wasn't she? Uh, and he was... Well, he's a photographer now, David Yaratu. Uh, and I think he was just a sort of club kid. Yeah. But I, I love that, that, that you know, they, they were willing to experiment and just, just have people who literally were there because of how they looked. I have to say, Martin looks particularly glam with uh, some very big hair there. So should we move on to selection number three from David? <clears throat> what have you gone for, David? I've gone for um, Talk Talk, It's My Life. Came out in early 1984. Um, and uh, the front cover is an illustration by um, artist James Marsh. A beautiful painting. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful painting. Um, and it's quite sort of, uh, um, sort of surreal, really. A lot of uh, James Marsh um, was at college during the 60s, so he was a big fan of, big fan of uh, psychedelic art and um, the surrealist movement. Um, people like uh, Magritte and Dali, and um, he was uh, a big fan of the natural world and ecology and animals and birds and insects and things. It's all in that. It's all in that, and it was originally uh, commissioned for a book oh, for, some, for something else. Yeah, it was a commission for um, a book called The Facts of Life by, I think, by Robert Nye. I don't know what the book's about. Oh. Um, so this was reused for this album. And I can remember when I first saw this cover, because originally uh, a single came out first, It's My Life, and it just had an insert um, detail on one side of the uh, single cover. Like a crop of the image. It was a crop of the final image, and it just showed um, the image of the boy and uh, the dog and the bubbles 
and I was fascinated by that. Because <laughs> before then, Talk Talk were very kind of, it was quite an austere kind of... Uh, it was a lot it, more white. A lot more white and um, very moody, and this was colour, and I just I was fascinated by the art, and it was just a piece of it, and I thought... I loved it, and you know, I loved the typography, which was also by Keith Breeden. Three out of three for Mr. Breeden. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, all the typography and the letterings all done by Keith Breeden. What year was this, David? This was 1984, uh -huh. um, and I just sort of fell in love with it, really. And then when the album came out, I saw the rest of the the rest of the painting, and it was almost like a curtain had opened. And I was seeing a widescreen image. Mm. Um, it, was, it sort of felt cinematic to me in a way, and I was just fascinated um, by all. You know, I want to know who the little boy was, and want to know what what they mean, what do all the things mean, and basically, it's jigsaw pieces falling out of the sky yeah. into the sea. But it's all done in very psychedelic kind of colours, and I just I was I wanted to know what what relation that was to the, their music and their songs you know did it mean anything was uh, some of the songs about some of the characters and certainly two two of the jigsaw pieces on the cover are from the john everett malay painting the boyhood of rally oh, okay. which i was fascinated by and i only discovered that much more recently i I'd like just a couple of years ago yeah. i never knew that before it just it just so he's um, james marsh has re-illustrated sort of sections of them and then uh, another famous painting by John Everett Millay is called, um, I think it's called A Child's Life or something like that. Right. But it, it became um, Bubbles, it was called Bubbles. Oh. And it's just a picture of a boy looking up at a bubble. And it's quite a sort of, um, quite a lovely, beautiful painting really. And I thought maybe that was a little motif. That's where the bubbles come mm. from on the cover. Uh, I just liked, visually I liked it. I liked the sort of psychedelic aspect of it. And you liked it so much. <laughs> that we all went to, to an auction of pop memorabilia once and... Well, I, I managed to... Um, there were 12 covers. Their ex-manager, Keith Asperton, was selling off 12 covers that were in his collection. And, uh, of course, I wanted them all. But I could only afford one, which I could barely afford then. Um, so I had to pick the one that really meant the most to me, and it was this one. They're well known for their covers, the James Marsh covers. Yeah, yeah. They were one of those bands that liked to represent themselves through art as opposed to photographs and things. I think the thing for me about James Marsh's paintings are that you can't, if, whenever I hear a talk, talk, song, I see those pictures in my head. Do, it's like yes. so much become a part of, it, it, it is like the wallpaper for the music, isn't it? It's, it's, mm. You can't think of the two separately because he worked with them from start to finish, didn't he? That's Pretty right. much. Yes, yeah. It's just a classic. To me, it's a classic album cover. It's probably one of their most well-known yeah. covers. We we were talking earlier about um, before we started recording about when, when you <laughs> used to listen to albums. While while it was on, you'd sit and either read the lyrics or look at the cover, and I think that that's a, a good example of an of a cover that you could spend at least an hour just looking at all of the intricate little details in it, and you know, like you said, thinking about well, what's that about, and why is it there, and yeah. how does it relate to this? That's right. It's such a uh, a rich image. I think it's it's partly because you can't work out what it's about, and, and so <laughs> it, it you know it retains its fascination. I can definitely see the link with Magritte. Mm. So how does it feel to actually own 
the cover of your favourite record because that's, that's fantastic. It, uh, it feels very strange, but I'm really honoured to be the sort of current guardian of it, really. Um, and I remember when we were all looking at it when we brought it home mm. and with how fine it's painted, it's like a, a lot of airbrushing. It is, isn't it? Very, so... very fine. You could barely see the rise in the, yeah. the different levels of paint is so fine. Incredible detail to yeah. it. Yeah, I love all the other stuff by Keith Breed and you know, the graphics. Um, well, they're just very understated as well, aren't they? And I think that that's, that's good design when the designer doesn't want to impose their stamp on just things. Just so nicely and doesn't. You, just, yeah, you're willing to let the illustration do its work and then the design is, is just very, very uh, understated and and the yeah. inner sleeve is very, very simple. It's um, there's just two photographs on one side, and just uh, graphics on the other side, mm. but not very bold, quite understated. So moving back around the table again in clockwise fashion, back to Andrew, and you're coming a bit more up to date. A bit more up to date. This is from 2007, I think, 2006, right. 2007, by a band called Marshow that some people may not have heard of. Fairly well known, not hugely successful chart-wise. Um, and, and this is a CD rather than vinyl. This is a CD rather than vinyl, so I think it might be bending the rules slightly there. But <laughs> we'll allow it. It's, a, it's an interactive package. It's their album called Peekaboo. Um, Marshaw produce um, their own brand of uh, electro-pop, basically, so heavily influenced by people like New Order, OMD, and so on. records that um, are creative and quirky and have a fun element. There's always something interesting about them uh, and this one's no exception. So the album's called Peekaboo. Um, it's a gatefold sleeve um, and there's a large pocket on one side of that and inside that pocket, as I remove it now, <laughs> is a large paper bag <laughs> which has two eye holes cut into it. <laughs> Um, and you were actively encouraged to put this paper bag over your head, peek through the eye holes and, and share photographs of yourself. And the bag has the track Doing listing so. on it as well. And, and it also all has the, the track listing and the credits as well. So the, the, um, the artwork in this case, the, the concept, uh, was, as far as I can ascertain, it's, it's a, a one-person uh, design agency called MNP, who were based in Greece. Um, don't know any more about them than that, uh, other than that obviously they produce some very interesting creative work. It's um, pretty clever. Um, but I, I suppose overall the design is very simple, it's kind of pretty much a block colour, a kind of lilac-y purple colour. Um, with gold foil. Um, it's you like your gold foil? I do, actually. Too I, I've just realised there's a connection between this and the squitty politty, there's gold foil blocking. Um, so the, the sleeve itself is lined with gold foil and the text on that sleeve is, is also gold foil. Uh, and the CD inside... Is it gold? It's kind of gold coloured but not actually gold. Oh. 
um, but relatively speaking, relative to the rest of the sleeve, um, is is quite restrained, I think. Um, I like it because I like the simplicity of the design. Uh, aesthetically, it's a lovely package, but I like the interactivity that, that they've built into it with, mm. with the bag idea. I think it's it's quite off the wall, um, but it's not too jokey. If you see what mm. I mean, it's, it's I mean it's beautifully done. Yeah. It's a really silly idea, but it's really beautifully done. Yeah. Um, I think as well it's particularly nice because of when it came out. So this is this is kind of the download period now. We've yeah. moved beyond vinyl and CD and into downloads. Yeah. And so it's rare that artists are producing uh, packaging of, of this standard, really. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know where they get the budget from, really, considering <laughs> that they don't seem to have that much chart success. Uh, they're not selling a lot of records, but they do go to town on the way they present. Uh, their recordings uh, and they've done so consistently um, which is part of the appeal really they're having fun and I, I like mm. the fact that they're having fun but I like the, the fact that you know it's it's a clever concept I think as well that you mentioned at the start about them um, uh, musically referencing people like New Order and Depeche Mode and people like that Yeah. and so I think from a design perspective it will be easy to to go down a similar route and I don't think they do that I think that looking at that you wouldn't you wouldn't know the sound that was within really it's no it doesn't say kind of electro pop does it no and part of the reason for this choice was because you know it comes from culturally it comes from a different place mm. although it's one that it was influenced by my own culture by you know UK pop music um, I think there's a different sensibility that comes from the fact that um, this is it's 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 a Greek product, if you like. You know, yeah. it's kind of a, um, influenced by more northern European work, um, but it it has its own sensibility as well. It's one of those things where you know it's quite it feels like you know as is often the case with with sleeve designs, it's it's a precious object, mm -hmm. and you know that makes me want to preserve it and. I think it's, it's also ingenious thinking as well that makes you still buy physical product rather than, you know, if it hadn't come in a, a nice package, you'd probably have just downloaded it or streamed it. But yeah. the fact that it's like that. Yeah, um, it's definitely a really good marketing technique for, for as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, the number of times where I've quite often been swayed into buying music solely by the sleeve. Mm. You know, if it was a special sleeve, if it was a gatefold, or it had an insert, or there was something about it, that yeah. would that would persuade me. Um, and that's the art of what we're talking about today, really. Part of the reason why these records still exist in, in our collections, you know, albeit in our lofts or wherever, but they've stayed with us because they're still beautiful things. I've got rid of loads of vinyl over the years as I've bought CDs, but some stuff I've kept just because that 12-inch square still is massively superior to... To the packaging that later came out on CD. It's interesting that this, I mean, it's a small independent label as well as on Undo Records. I can't see this kind of package being produced by any of the major labels unless you were a huge artist mm -hmm. and the budget was there. Um, so I quite like the, the, the kind of almost homegrown aspect of it as well, yeah. really. Good choice. Thank you. Okay, I'll move on to my next design, which is. Um, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome by Frankie Goes to Hollywood.
So this was released in October 1984, so exactly one year before How to Be a Zillionaire by ABC. I've picked this purely for the design of it because I wasn't a big Frankie Goes to Hollywood fan by any, by any means, really. I was sort of interested in them because they were from Liverpool. I wasn't a fan, but I was sort of intrigued by them because they were doing something quite different and quite daring as well. Mm. Um, musically, though, with the fact that they were working with Trevor Horn and I was a fan of him. Um, I liked the sounds that he was coming out with and I liked what was happening with ZTT, with the other bands like Art of Noise and Propaganda. So I was sort of seduced by, by the Frankie Goes to Hollywood album. Although I didn't buy it at the time, someone, someone gave me this when they bought a CD and a friend gave me this because he didn't need it anymore. But um, I just love the design of it. Uh, it's largely an illustration by an artist called Low Cole, whose work is quite famous. Uh, Low does all sorts of things, but he's kind of got, I think he does a regular illustration for The Guardian each week. Uh, and he has a lot of presence in galleries and things you see his work. There's a lovely gallery in Brighton called Castor and Pollux, and they sell his work. Um, and I think his portraits of the band that takes up most of the cover image are just lovely. They're like a cross between Picasso and Jean Cocteau and and Loco as well. It's very much his style. And I just really like that. And I like as well the fact that it's not a photograph of the band. I think the safest thing to, to have done at that time when they were a massive band was to just had a photograph on there of them. And indeed, Peter Ashworth did take a, a, a photograph of them for the album, but it didn't go on the cover. And I quite like that. I like, I like the photograph, but I like the fact that it, they didn't feel like they needed to put it on the cover. Like How to Be a Zillionaire as well, it's, it's another uh, lavish gatefold extravaganza with a, a very risque image on the inside <laughs> of uh, some, some animals climbing up a giant phallus. Not, not your typical, <laughs> typical teeny bop uh, content, really. Is that the head of a penis there? I think it might be. <laughs> um, and it's just, I just really like it. I think it's uh, really, really funny. Um, playful and a little bit naughty. A little bit. So you can see the cocktail influence there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And on the back of it, there was an, there's an, like an, another of uh, Locals' uh, paintings of an, animals having an orgy. Which is beautiful, actually. It is gorgeous. But they, um, they ended up having to place um, fig leaves <laughs> on uh, <coughs> certain key positions of it to obscure them because it was just too pornographic. I think the fig leaves work quite well. I mean, aesthetically, it's beautiful, actually, the combination of colours. But then you start looking at the detail, and you know, what, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> and I'm sure that was the, exactly the intention. Yeah. They do, it, they, the fig leaves do obscure enough to make it tricky to work out, but your, your mind can fill in the gaps, I think. <laughs> So reading about the, uh, the background to this, uh, Locals says, uh, for the gatefold artwork, uh, Paul Morley wanted a procession of animals entering a very large phallus, <laughs> as one does. Uh, and on the back, I was instructed to portray a massive orgy of beasts. At least I think that's what they said. I remember questioning him on exactly how graphic my interpretation could be and being given the liberty to indulge my imagination. I was given the dimensions for each piece, and that was more or less it. So I quite like that he was given such free license, really, there by um, by Excel. So Excel Design did this, which was a small design studio managed by Tom Watkins. 
Um, and it seems like he was just given free reign to, to do what he wanted. The band apparently had no involvement. So for such a young artist so early on in his career, it must have been incredible to, to see your work everywhere. I think they were selling this idea of, of controversy with Frankie, but also um, this kind of hedonistic thing, really. And, and I guess this kind of illustrates that perfectly. When you've got two tiny balls climbing out of the, the eye of, <laughs> of an uncut penis. <laughs> Which is a you know this bright pink blob um, prominent in the in the whole illustration. I wonder what the starting point was. Whether the starting point was just the, the title "Welcome to the Pleasure Dome," which doesn't that come from a famous poem that I I should know more about? Coleridge. Was it Coleridge? Yes. yes. Something about Kubla Khan. That's right. What was the media? What did it, what did he, what was the technique? I don't. I think it's it's paint and pastel and pencil. I think. Because it's very textural. Yeah. Yeah. And quite muted. He says here, um, just reading from the, the, there was a special edition of the album that came out a couple of years ago. And uh, in that, in the, the beautiful book that's with it, they, there's lots of uh, the original drawings and various different drafts of, of them in here. And he talks about uh, the sort of process behind it. Um, about when he was initially pitching for work just after he'd left college. And he says, with each contact, I was given new names to follow up other contacts. And one of these was a company called XL Design, uh, which was run by Tom Watkins. I remember climbing the stairs of a grotty building in, po in Poland Street, Soho, and being confronted with a wacky postmodern interior, complete with mock ruins and speckled blue walls. I was ushered in the direction of this larger-than-life character called Tom Watkins, who seemed to know everyone and could, could sell anything to anyone. He proceeded to buy up pages and pages from my sketchbooks, and I returned home with bundles of cash in my portfolio instead of pictures. <laughs> Shortly after this first encounter, Tom used me on various projects, and then one day I received a phone call asking me if I would like to do the album artwork for a band called Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It really was a case of being in the right place at the right time. It's really interesting. I'd forgotten this was a double album, actually. I don't know how I've forgotten that. But it's interesting that on um, one of the inner sleeves, one side is taken up by uh, basically an order form <laughs> for Frankie-branded clothing, yeah. um, which is quite unusual even now, I think, Yeah. For, for that to be the case. But it's all beautifully laid out. It's beautifully it? it's laid out. It's gorgeous design. The, the order form is kind of sort of in the same position that the label would be in, and it's kind of a, a press-out circle mm. that doesn't have has a matte finish, obviously, to facilitate your biro. Um, and order as many T-shirts as what possible. Are clothes like? They're quite simple. Sort of yeah. Catherine Hamner tees, aren't they? And John Richmond yeah. dee as well. They all look like they were named by Paul Morley as well as the Hugo Ball, <laughs> the enamel badges, the, the Kurt Vile sweatshirt. <laughs> That's definitely Paul Morley. I love it. I love how pretentious it is. I'm one of these is Claudia Brooken here as well, modelling the clothes. <laughs> So yeah, it's 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 a lovely package, you know. Peter Ashworth's photography with XL's design and Loco's Loco's illustrations just it makes for a sublime design package for me. Well, one of the inner sleeves as well. You were talking about that, the, the kind of portrait shot. Um, it is a wonderful shot, which again that could have been the cover. Yeah, you wouldn't have complained if it was really. Mm. Um, it's quite elaborate. It's very rich. It's very decadent. Yeah, it's exactly what you would expect. 
And I was an art student at the time. I, you know, I was studying graphic design when this came out. And I remember looking at it and just sort of thinking, wow, imagine being able to do stuff like that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so, so rich and detailed and complex and there's so much going on. It's, but whilst it, there is a lot going on, it just all seems to hang together quite nicely. Yeah. So moving onwards to your second choice, David, <coughs> what have you gone for? Uh, my second choice is Killing Joke, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, which is a gatefold album, but it's not a double album. Front cover is... Um, just sort of a closely cropped photo, black and white photo of Jazz Coleman, the lead singer. And it's a photograph by um, Berlin-based photographer Maria Schult. And she photographed three of the band members for the other sides of the sleeves. Uh, and one of the photographs on the inner sleeve of Paul Raven is by Cindy Palmano oh. from... Uh, who photographed what record cover? Uh, actually, oh, by Pet Shop yeah, Boys. Yeah. And did a lot of fashion, she's done a lot of fashion photography and um, rock photography um, and portraits. Um, it's all black and white, but it's all very high contrast. He's very matinee idol there, isn't he? Well, there's something, what I love about it is, because um, I, I very, very rarely pick photographs um, very rarely does a photograph on an album cover really kind of um, strike me or sort of uh, appeal to me. I think broken a broken frame. Mm. Um, is it Brian Griffin? Yeah, gorgeous. Um, by Depeche Mode. That's probably one of my favourites. And um, this is another favourite, but it's um, it's a portrait shot. And there's something sort of uh, it reminds me a little bit of the. Uh, Hollywood portraits of the um, 30s and 40s, yeah. but there's something kind of gothic about it, <clears throat> and it's it's romantic. There's something romantic about it, which I love. Uh, I love his expression. Um, well, the other shots of the band members are all quite different. Because it is largely the, the, the cover is just the four photographs, really, isn't it? It's just the four photographs. Yeah. It's interesting because they're, they're all headshots and they're all very closely cropped which is is slightly uncomfortable you know it's kind of it's it's more challenging really because you you're you it's in your face basically it is mm. um and i see what you mean about jazz's expression really there's a wistfulness there they're beautiful photographs technically they're beautifully lit i mean that's um, a photograph that i would hang on my wall it's just it looks great and he looks great and you know, I love all the shine. It's kind of it feels wet. You know, the kind of shine on his hair and the kind of the glistening on the um, the eyebrows. And I just think it's a really kind of a slightly ethereal kind of image. But I just love the image, and I remember seeing it for the first time because I bought the the cassette. I didn't buy the album, uh, and I just kept looking at it and thinking it's just amazing. And I love the way um, the typography is done. The design of the album and the lettering and the graphics is done by a company called Stylo Rouge, mm -hmm. who you know quite well. You know a I lot do. of their stuff. I do. I'm not really too familiar with them, but it's been very, it's very understated. And I love the colour scheme. I love the fact that everything is kind of 
black and white with a bit of silver and you've got the inner sleeve is um, kind of blood red really with kind of white and silver graphics. Just thinking that, I mean, it helps the fact that Jazz is, is a very good looking man and that headshot in particular, it kind of reminds me of, um, there's almost something like, like a Roman bust really. He's got that kind of, those sort of classical looks looks very intense but when I, when I think about what else was in the charts around about that time and the way they presented themselves this is kind of the antithesis of that really yeah. you know it's quite it is quite dark it's very moody it's very moody it's not wham is it no, it's <laughs> <definitely not> wham. <laughs> well it's a very simple but strong concept and I think you know it's all the more powerful for that really but it's a beautiful killing joke you know it's like um, seeing them in a different light which is which I thought was you know, wonderful. I just think it really stands out. There's very few record covers. We think of famous record covers like the Patti Smith Horses and um, you know people like um, the David Bowie covers, you know the Heroes cover and things like that. Yeah. It's very few album covers that are a portrait shop that I would want to hang on my wall, and this is one of them. Mm. So Andrew, your third and final choice. My third and final choice today is Keane's Under the Iron Sea album. Nice. Uh, we're talking about 2006 now. Um, and it's a special edition, although I don't think it was particularly exclusive. It's special in the sense that CD format, but it comes as a book, as a rather nicely bound book. Nice and hot. Is that a little nice hardback yeah, book? it's a hardback. It makes a nice noise as well. <laughs> um, it's beautifully embossed. So the t there are two discs with this. So there's the album disc and there's a DVD as well. And they're, they're both fixed on the uh, inside back and front covers. Um, the thing that makes it for me, though, really, are the illustrations that are used throughout. So each spread features the, the uh, title of a, of a track and the lyrics, and each one is illustrated. Are the illustrations um, relative to the song? They are, but not in an immediately apparent way. Right. So, for example, the song Crystal Ball features what looks like a snow queen holding a scepter with a squirrel on her shoulder. That could be a crystal ball, though. It could be a crystal ball in the centre, yeah, there's mm. this kind of circular motif. So I'm guessing that they were done to order rather than randomly juxtaposed. Um, the illustrations are by an illustrator called Sana Anuka. The art direction overall was by Richard Andrews at Big Active. The illustrations are beautiful. They kind of have a Russian fairy tale look yes, to them. Yeah. Um, and one of them... Uh, it was used for the standard album cover. There's, uh, there's a song called Atlantic, and on that spread, um, it features seahorses basically. So the horses' heads are formed by the, the crest of uh, several waves. You need to see this really to kind of yeah. <laughs> have a good idea. Um, but I think, again, the, it's a very simple approach really. Um, there's nothing overly complex about it. The illustrations are beautiful. So it's like a storybook, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's very much like a storybook. What I like about the style as well is that it's like you said, it's that sort of slightly Soviet sort of Eastern Bloc style illustration, but it's also that kind of very contemporary at the time sort of vector art that Airside were doing for yeah. Lemon Jelly and that really bold graphic look. Yeah. It's, it's, 
it's sort of a nice combination of the two. So I think the shapes and the themes are quite old, really, and you know there are references to you know fairy tale illustrations of the past. But as you say, I think it's all been done, created digitally. Yeah. So that lends a certain aesthetic as well. But I did kind of question, you know, how much is this a record sleeve, and therefore meets the brief, and how much is this a book, you know, <laughs> how much is it? It can be both. Almost like a, a you know, a children's book. I remember seeing it at the time, and I'd, I'd like the first, I think this was this the second album. I think this is the second album, yeah. I'd like the first album, as had most people, and, and then when this came out, I hadn't particularly liked the singles, but I saw that and thought, Oh, I might have to buy that just because it was such a pretty thing. Yeah, well, I thought the same, but I, I did actually go out and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but you like the album um, as well. I love the album, yeah. I, I love, I, again, I don't know, it's a, it's a precious object. Mm. It's actually quite a practical object as well, really. It's a nice sort of hardbound book. Um, and I think it goes really nicely with their music as well. Yeah. Um, their music is very kind of dreamy, mm. quite soulful. Um, and I think that sort of fits in really with the sort of their image. Yeah. Okay, moving on to my third and final choice. I'd got introspective by the Pet Shop Boys in a plastic bag, which is uh, rare, and I have two versions of it as well. So I have the standard album for it, and I have the, the limited edition version of it, which is, has exactly the same tracks, but comes in different packaging. With, and I, so first of all, I like the, the design excess of that, that you would produce two albums with exactly the same material, but in two completely different packages to potentially get people to buy it twice. <laughs> no, I didn't. This was the second one was a gift from um, a lovely friend. Well, we've because, all fallen for that marketing yes. in the press. Did they come at the same time? Yeah, yeah, this, this was the limited edition one, which at the time I never saw. Uh, I wasn't aware that this had come out, so I bought the standard edition in the bag with the window sticker. I have a window sticker in here. a window sticker as well. Bag. Look at that window sticker. I hope um, all of this plastic isn't biodegradable. <laughs> well, it's lasted 30 years. That would have so. been on my window back in the day. <laughs> Is it really 30 years since this came out? When did it come out? This came out in 88. I've picked it because I'm a big fan of Pet Shop Boys, big fan of Mark Farrow's design. So where do you start picking one thing? And I've picked this just because it's the one that stands out, I think, from all of the others. So it doesn't use lots of white space. It doesn't use photography. It hasn't got them dressed up in silly hats. It's it's very, very iconic design. And that's partly just to do with how simple it is. And again, you know, simplicity is a hard thing to pull off. Um, so I just think it works really, really well. And I remember when it came out, looking for it on the day and just seeing it, there was like a whole row of stripes and just not necessarily even knowing that was the new album, but thinking, what is that? And going over to look at it because it was just so... Do you think that was intentional then? Because people would have had that in mind, presumably, that, you know, you would walk into HMV and there would be a huge rack of copies. Um, and it would have an impact, you know, when, when they're presented en masse in that way. Mm. So maybe that was part of the rationale and simplicity, I guess, works in that respect. 
Yeah, and it's also a, a, an about turn, isn't it, from what had gone before. You know, the, the first two albums were very, very white. Well, the first one particularly with just the tiny little square in the middle and then the second one with the Cindy Palmano photograph. And then this this kind of, go, you know, there's, there is no white on this at all, really. It's mm. just all colour saturation. So I, I, I just li I like it for that reason. This limited edition version is a thing of beauty. So it's all sealed up in a band. Very Japanese type thing. Yeah. And then what they did was they split. So th this album, for people who don't know, only has six tracks on it. But for the limited edition, what they did was split split it up onto three different pieces of vinyl. Mm. Um, and each side had one colour of the bands on the album cover. Um, so 12-inch discs, but with oversized labels. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that's a very Japanese thing that goes with the band around it. You know, the... A lot of Japanese records had had these big labels, and in Italy as well, they used to do that. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen oversized labels like I that before. I don't think I've ever seen that either. I've got uh, something by Japan, and I've got a John Fox one as well, and a Blamange one that all have the large labels. But mm -hmm. Yeah, they were they were quite rare, and that's why I quite like the the. Again, it's just a different thing to do, and the photographs are really nice, but very very understated. You know, there is no typography, there are no lyrics. Um, it's just all about the colours. And, and one track on each side? One track on each side, No yeah. mixes or anything like that? No. So it's exactly the same album, but it has its own variation of colours. And again, that's another thing that they did. That So the CD had a different set of coloured stripes to the cassette, which had a different set of coloured stripes to the album, which did. And then this limited edition has its own set. And I just like the design indulgence of that, really. Oh, I was going to say it's wonderfully uh, exotic, isn't it? Is. It is. It is. It's That would look amazing in the, in the record shops on the stands. Yeah. It would have just stood out straight yeah. away. Yeah. This is the, their, apparently, the Pet Shop Boys' least favourite album cover. Um, I think it's one of the most distinctive. It's not my favourite, but it's certainly not my least favourite either. Because of the simplicity, if I'd laid that out, I would be staring at that for ages thinking, is that colour in the right place? That yellow's not right. Why have you got two yellow bands? It, it really jars with the purple next to it. Um, and the, the stripes are in a different order, more or less the same colours, I think, on the both versions, but in a different order. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of the pop stuff that they yeah. did much later. Mm. It's yeah. kind of uh, the colour scheme and the kind of graphic layout. Yeah. It reminds me of that stuff, so I'm surprised that you say they don't like it very much. Yeah, because it's, it's a style that they've sort of gone back to, but maybe not in such a bold, strident way. I don't think it's been overthought. No. And I think quite often, you know, they, I'm sure they would have been working to a tight deadline. So, you know, you make a decision, sometimes a bold decision, and just go with it. And I think what's resulted here is, is a really iconic sleeve design. Well, reading from the book of design that the Pet Shop Boys brought out, how many other bands have brought a book of design out? Uh, Mark Farrow and Christoph Gwabs were looking through a designer's book of colour combinations and saw these colours. Farrow says, for once we were not taking we were not taking it and trying to turn it into another idea, but thought, that's what we're going to do. They took it exactly as it appeared in the book. The cassette and the CD used different colours, but the album was always the strongest set. And um, I remember talking to Tom Watkins about about this this stuff the the design of this and him saying 
the, the, he always thought it looked like um, a test card. And, it is yeah. a bit like a test card. And in, in the book here, Mark Farrow says that uh, Tom had sort of, you know, said anytime, every time someone turns the television on, they'll, they'll think, oh, you know, <laughs> Pet Shop Boys' new album. So, you know, sort of subliminal marketing. I think it works. I think there's a strong connection to fine art because you get a particular feeling from that combination of colours. So even if you change just one of them, it would change the overall effect. Mm. But that, that's probably me over-rationalising. But I know what you mean as a designer, you know, as well. I, the, the, two, the two blues are very similar and the pink and the red are very similar. I'd have, yeah. I'm sure I'd have picked different colours, but it seems like they obviously, it seems almost like they had this colour book and it was almost like, well, that's the page it's on, that's yeah. the ones we're going to use. So it's it was like... Very much about the combination of colours rather than any individual colour. Yeah. But I remember even, you know, then this really standing out, I just saw it in the record shop and thinking that is, uh, that's quite a kind of high kind of concept. Yeah kind of cover that's not just your normal cover <laughs> it's, it was a brave statement I think I, mean, I knew they were an arty band but when I saw that cover I thought that's something really special and really interesting and it caught my eye mm. and then the back cover of the standard edition is just black pretty much all black with tiny sort of like looks like five point type at the bottom that is just even when my eyes worked properly i think i would have struggled to read that well, beautifully arranged in seven neat columns <laughs> um, I, I like the bag it's I very patch up boys i love the <laughs> overprinting as well on the bag it's very uh, s-h-o p-p-i-n-g isn't it it's kind of like <laughs> i bought this record and then i've got the matching bag again that lovely little black border I bought it in um, in Birmingham actually. This record. I was in Birmingham the day it came out, and so I remember swooshing round Birmingham town centre with my introspective carrier bag, swinging your pseudo rainbow bag. So did they give it the bag behind the counter? Did they bring it up and you? Yeah. It was like an extra you didn't know that was going to be part of it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice little touch. So David, moving on. Your, your last choice. What have you gone for there? My last choice is Classics Nouveau, their third album, their final album, called Secret, um, from 1983. And it's a cover by Edward Bell, who also did the, uh, the graphics and the lettering. I love the front cover, which is like... Uh, photographs that have been sort of torn up and then painted over and coloured in and then it's got a very sort of uh, bold graphic kind of border all the way around it with um, sort of lettering and then freestyle um, handwriting and I love it because it's just very uh, graphic um, it stands out it's very strong the colours are quite simple uh, there's not a lot to it there's not very much uh, information on there but I love it um, it's almost kind of monochromatic except for the, the big full colour fish at the corner it's quite surreal again you know because <laughs> going back to the talk talk surreality um, there's a kind of a androgynous fashion type figure ghostly <laughs> in the background and in front there's this kind of tropical fish in full colour um, with a slightly bemused expression on its face. It's kind of punk as well. There's a sort of punk element to it yeah. as well. Yeah. A very kind of, um, you know, make your own record sleeve kind mm. of uh, feel to it, which I love. So that roughness bothers me. Yeah. As, as a sort of design perfectionist <laughs> thing. Oh, well, you, you don't like that. 
I think it works for the album, but it wouldn't be uh, an album I would choose because I don't. Uh, is it I the like le- it. the lettering or the image? It is. I mean, I like Edward Bell's work. I loved all the stuff with oh, um, stunning, yeah, with David Bowie and the, uh, Scary Monsters and stuff. But I suppose here it's that mixture of the stencils and the that it just feels mm, a little yeah. bit a bit clunky to Not me. Not knowing that connection as well. So my first thought was Scary Monsters because of the way. The text is arranged around the border on the front cover. And the rip as well. Yeah. There's a rip on the cover of... It's very Edward Bell, I mean... It is. You would know it was his work. And I think if you like his work, you'd probably quite like this cover. I mean, I'm a big fan of the band. Um, Yeah. They were one of sort of... I think one of the underrated bands of the 80s. Do these... um, so, So I don't know this album at all or any of the songs on it. But is there significance of the fish and the woman? Are they? Is there any? No, I don't think there's any sort of uh, significance with any of the tracks. And I love the back cover, which is uh, like a sort of like a screen print that's off register and sort of, <laughs> again uh, very punk. It's very punk. It's sort of like a uh, sort of a screen printed T-shirt, like some of those old Vivian Westwood T-shirts. Yes. I actually with, love that. Actually, the hand rendered. Uh, text on the back is, is lovely actually all done by Edward Bell and I just think it really works but I don't think I, I just love it I love the roughness of it I love the sort of um, do it yourself kind of um, aspect to it and you know some of the, the the other covers I've chosen are quite sort of slick really and this is kind of the opposite of that mm. this is kind of a little more kind of uh, more graphic more kind of illustrative and I thought it works really well very unconventional, I think. It is. There is this quite a strong sort of, you know, punk element to it. Mm. But I love that kind of, I love screen printing, I love off-register, I love kind of... Happy of accidents. Happy accidents, mm. you know, and I love all that kind of stuff, and I love dots and splashes and... I mean, there, he has his, uh, a very um, specific aesthetic, i try saying that without your teeth in, um, that, that, you know, I, you know I, I knew that was his work mm. before. You said it. There's something about the the cut up roughness of it, and the the his handwriting obviously is a very mm. integral part of it. And I like that. I like I like what he does because it's so him. It's a bit like with that Pet Shop Boys album. You would know it was a Mark Farrow design. Yeah. And I like designers where you you can tell it's their work because they've got their own distinct style. So whilst I don't appreciate the this as a piece of art, I can appreciate the concept of it and the work that's gone into it yeah i mean i love his work anyway because you know he's an accomplished uh he started off being a photographer oh, and then right. um his early career was photography i think uh, and then he sort of evolved into album covers and then the kind of the graphics and the sort of uh lovely handwriting that sort of came later i think and then um, he's an accomplished painter. Some really beautiful landscape paintings I've seen recently of his. Because I come from a textile background. Mm. I love uh, people that really kind of understand texture and <coughs> mark, mark making, as opposed to um, like typography and things like that. That's hey, something... don't you be dissing typography. <laughs> <laughs> I love something that, I love things that are highly visual, that sort of, uh, um, that's why I love, you know, the photographs and the illustrations and the paintings. This is very different. I've chosen one album cover that was a illustration, a painting, one that was a photograph and one that's a mixture of both. Is this your favourite of the three? This is uh, of the three... Of your three selections? No, It's My Life is my favourite. I think that is the one that's probably... That's 
my favourite album cover of all time, I think. <laughs> and uh, just because it's, it's very me. Andrew, which is, would you be able to pick a favourite of your three? I think of the three choices today, I would probably go with Cupid and Psyche 85. Mm. as the most rounded piece of design, really. I suppose if I had to pick one of the three, I'd... Oh, I don't know. Um, probably the ABC one, I think. Yeah, just because it's got a mixture of it's got a mixture of the other two. So it's got a strong graphic look, and it's also got beautiful typography. And it's yeah, that would be my choice. So, thank you for listening, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Art on Your Sleeve, and I'd like to thank my good friend Andrew. Thank you. I've enjoyed the process, and hopefully involved in further broadcasts and my good friend david yeah i've really enjoyed it um talking about record covers is something i've sort of <laughs> never done before uh it's hard to it's hard to explain really in words why you like mm. certain record covers you know how you feel about a record cover but to sort of put it in words is quite difficult at times yeah and also trying to narrow it down to because we're, we're all big music fans and have massive record collections and just narrowing it down to three was really really hard in fact we were originally going to do two each weren't we yeah <laughs> and that was even, that was just impossible so we narrowed it down to three um and i hope you've enjoyed listening to us musing on them thanks for listening Bye-bye. bye bye bye